0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. Today it's me, Jeff, Aaron, and Greg, and we're going to be talking about fat bikes. And we talk a lot about fat bikes on single tracks. but just so you know, Greg and I are, are real big fat bike fanatics. Aaron, not so much so, but <laughs> we're going to have a conversation and discussion around the idea that fat bikes are basically the biggest innovation in mountain biking since, well, since full suspension in the 1990s. I mean, it's hard it's hard for me personally to come up with something that's a bigger shift in how we view mountain bikes. And so I wanted to talk about sort of that idea and maybe have a little debate about it. You know, I want to start off by asking what is so revolutionary about fat bikes? we will start with you, Greg, since you tend to share my view on that.
1: So this has been a personal pet theory
0: of Jeff and mine for a while now.
1: Um, And I think it does depend a little bit on where you live, but Personally, having hailed from uh, central Wisconsin, being born and raised there, I've sort of observed what fat biking has done for the mountain bike scene there and in other places where it gets cold and snowy. And fat biking has truly turned mountain biking from a five-month-per-year sport in those areas to a 12-month-per-year sport. It's absolutely massive to think about riding your bike and pedaling your bike all year round instead of just during the summer months. I personally came to mountain biking from downhill skiing, so downhill skiing was my main winter pastime. But then when I transitioned to training more aerobically in the winter, I ended up running because biking just wasn't feasible. But now I look at biking totally different. You now we have essentially two different riding seasons. We have dirt season and snow season. It's really interesting because and not only are you continuing just to ride and you're continuing to be engaged in the sport of mountain biking. But it opens up sort of new ways to approach the sport as the seasons change. So it's not like you're still doing the same thing. But, uh, you know, fat biking opens up new areas you can ride in the winter that you just can't ride in the summer or or aren't interesting to ride during the summer months, such as over frozen rivers and lakes, snowmobile trails that would be boring on a standard mountain bike and maybe too deep of Of dirt or loose sand but during the winter are perfect for fat biking. And finally, fat bikes have also brought us to places where we physically could never ride bikes before. So we can ride over surfaces such as snow that we couldn't ride before but we can also ride in places that we could never pedal before such as beaches, deserts, simply going cross country, I already mentioned frozen rivers and lakes. And then there are certain places that are only open for over-snow travel. Like, they are open for wheeled or other non-foot travel during the summer, but may be open for such over-snow travel during the winter. Probably more I could be said on that, but that's sort of the gist of it. It's just sort of expanded our horizons astronomically.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, it kind of unlocks the potential that mountain bikes had in the beginning. You know, I mean, early days, mountain bikes were billed as, like, all-terrain bikes. And that was... True to some degree, but there were a lot of terrains where people didn't want to ride their bikes like sand and snow, and fat bikes have allowed them to do that. So how does the introduction of fat bikes compare to other recent innovations like 29ers and 275 inch wheels? A lot of people might lump the two or three things in together since it is all sort of like an evolution of wheel sizes, but how do you guys see them as similar or different?
2: I think their evolution has been a lot like the evolution of the 29er at first they were kind of awkward looking, awkward handling, heavy, but they showed promise and people saw the promise that was there and it was you know a very niche group with a you know core supporters of the idea of what fat bikes could be. But you know now like with 29ers, they've got the geometry figured out. There's carbon fiber frames, there's carbon fiber wheels, tires have gotten lighter, you know everybody's running tubeless now. I mean you have full suspension fat bikes, so they're They're totally legit mountain bikes. They just have really big tires. And then, you know, kind of on that topic, I would argue that 27.5 wasn't really an innovation at all. It was more just a tool to sell more bikes. You know, I think there's are advantages to 29ers. And, you know, 27.5 bikes are great. I own one myself. But they really aren't that different than 26ers. But if you look at a fat bike, you know, it is offering something that's a wholly different experience than you can get with any other mountain bike.
1: Maybe I interpret that question a little bit differently. But, you know, when I think about 29ers coming on the scene, 27.5, and even other mechanical advantages that we've seen recently, like 1x11 drivetrains. I think all those things, ultimately, they just help you mountain bike better and more easily over the same terrain. People call 29ers a revolution and in innovation. I mean, it's just a modification on a previous Design ultimately, you can still ride everything on a 26er. 29er is going to make it a little more easier, but you're still riding the same terrain. Whereas fat bikes bring you to an area and a terrain and a season that you couldn't normally enjoy before. You couldn't, you know, potentially you could have pounded through a couple of inches of snow on your standard mountain bike, but you couldn't go and ride snowmobile trails at 12,000 feet in the mountains on a on a normal mountain bike. You can do that on a fat bike. So I see almost everything else that's happened in the mountain bike industry just to be modifications on an existing sign. Whereas I think fat bike is truly an innovation opens a different field up to us.
0: Yeah. Well, so a lot of mountain bikers, you know, might say to themselves, I'm not really interested in riding in snow. I don't live somewhere it snows and I have no interest of riding sand and stuff like that. So maybe they think that fat bikes don't apply to them, but how is what's happening with fat bikes affecting the rest of the industry? Is any of that sort of bleeding over into the other stuff that we're seeing?
2: Well, maybe it's just a, a product of where I live, but as you said, you know, I, I hardly ever see fat bikes out in the wild here in Georgia. You know, we, we cover them a lot on the site. I hear people talk about them, but I don't actually see them on the trail. And again, that could just be a product of living here in Georgia where, you know, obviously we don't get any snow. Snow you could actually fat bike in. But, uh, you know, I suppose that'd be different if I lived, you know, in the Midwest or in the North or out in Colorado. But there are definite benefits to having a larger tire in the traction that a larger tire provides, which is why we're seeing the mid-fat size, the 27.5 plus. I mean, that's kind of the hottest thing going right now in, in mountain biking and I think due in large part to the people seeing the benefits of, you know, having a giant tire on your mountain bike.
1: Yeah, I think I agree with that. Like, so we're seeing tire size and perceptions shift even on the dry end of the scale and in the summer spectrum and a little more, so I totally agree with what Aaron said, in a little more ambiguous sense also, I think it's continuing to build mountain bike as a sport and a lifestyle so this is a bit harder to quantify but i think especially for those people that couldn't ride during the winter before um, it's turning mountain biking into even more and more an integral part of their existence you know instead of being like oh i bike you know when i can and i ski when i can't it's just bikes all the time so a bit harder to quantify but potentially equally as important
0: yeah that's an interesting idea So what are some of the common misperceptions? I mean, for me, the thing that I still hear from people, less so now, but when people would describe what it's like riding a fat bike, they say like, oh, I just had this goofy grin on my face the whole time. And to me, that kind of diminishes the experience. I mean, it is different, but it's not silly or it's not just for fun. These are efficient machines for getting around certain terrains. And I would argue even... You know, you get the tire pressures right and you ride a full suspension fat bike, you can get some performance out of it as well. There's a lot of benefits maybe that are a bit extreme. I mean, maybe plus size is where things are going to shake down for on the performance side. But yeah, I think to me, one of the misconceptions is that fat bikes are just silly and, you know, you're supposed to look ridiculous riding them.
2: I mean, come on. They do look a little ridiculous. They
0: do look (laughs) ridiculous. I mean, part of that. Some people probably like that, right? I mean, it is something different. And I have seen a few here in Atlanta, you know, people riding them in town. And when I've been testing some bikes too, just the looks and the comments that I get are are pretty priceless. So that's that's part of it, admittedly. Conversation starter.
2: (laughs) I'd say probably the biggest misconception about fat bikes is that they're only for snow. I think that was due in large part to how they were positioned when they were first introduced to the market. That's how they appear in ads and the marketing and the videos that you see that go along with these bikes. It was always people riding in snow. So I think that was a good way for them to get into the market and sell bikes, but I think that's also kind of something that they're having to overcome now, right? Because obviously if you're a fat bike manufacturer, you don't want people just riding your fat bike in the winter. You want them riding your bikes year-round. So I think they're There are companies that are trying to overcome that. I mean, you know, for example, Salsa with the the bucksaw, right, is a full suspension. You don't need a a full suspension to ride snowmobile trails. You know, they (laughs) definitely have that thing. It's a trail bike. So I think that's something that's a a common misperception about fat bikes and something that they're going to kind of have to overcome and make people realize that you can ride fat bikes all year round if that's your thing.
1: Totally. Another misperception I continue hearing. Is that fat bikes are really heavy and slow, and while I think the fat biking industry didn't do itself any favors when it began with steel fat bikes with poor geometry, like some of that gets modified and tweaked over time, and you eventually arrive at the best possible scenario. But fat bikes these days, I mean, you can buy sub twenty pound stock fat bikes. You know, they're rigid carbon fat bikes that are. Lighter than any bike in my garage, you know. (laughs) And even at a low price point nowadays, you can buy an aluminum fat bike with five inch wheels and tires that's below 30 pounds. I mean, which even my like $7,000 carbon wonder bike, full suspension, you know, six inch travel bike is about 30 pounds, you know. So you don't get many bikes a ton lower than that. So fat bikes have come down in weight and are now quite reasonable. Sort of on that those same lines is this perception that fat bikes are expensive. And again, I think initially they were because it was a really proprietary technology. All the frames initially were steel, which is more expensive than aluminum. And fat bikes were a little bit higher end commodity because they're so specialized. But now, again, the prices have come down and you can get a really well-specced fat bike that doesn't weigh – A lot for a very reasonable amount of money. So um, I think those are two things that hopefully will, the perception will continue to change over time.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned carbon fat bikes. And so I wanted to talk about a little bit about where you guys see the technology right now in fat bikes. Are we sort of at the beginning days with fat bike technology or middle or, or have we reached sort of the peak? I mean, if people are doing carbon and doing a lot of the things that regular mountain bikes are doing, yeah, I'm kind of interested to know where else we can go with this. I think I personally see us uh, sort of in the middle still
1: on fat bike innovation. I think there's still a lot that can be done to dial in fat bikes. I think many fat bikes still have issues with the rear end design, with things like calf bang still existing, and I think some manufacturers still haven't figured out chainstay length versus Q-factor versus tire width versus chainstay and seat stay width, and I think there's a lot that can be done for certain brands to dial in it. Other brands, you know, have come really close and are really getting it. So I see certain things like that continuing to progress. However, you know, there's potential. We could still see some benefits with tires and wheel design that would get us, you know, lighter weights, more durability. You know, we're still dialing in bottom bracket widths, hub standards. There's still like a bajillion hub standards for different fat bike setups. Some of the dropout situations still aren't ideal. And we only have one legit fat bike fork on the market. Yeah, um, mention- And we only have two full suspension fat bikes. So I think there's a lot of ways we can see fat bikes change over the next couple of years.
2: Yeah, I was going to mention the, the fork thing. I'm glad you did. I, it's still kind of really surprising to me that there aren't more options available but you know I guess that goes back to Jeff asked you know where where are we in terms of technology and where are we in terms of adoption I think in terms of adoption we're still r- really in the early stages you know as I mentioned I can count on probably three fingers how many fat bikes I've seen on trails in Georgia this year you know not counting my buddy Donald that I ride with but um yeah so I, th- I think you know as you start to see fat bikes being used more as as a mountain bike and being used for general trail riding, not just riding in the snow or riding in the sand. I think you'll see more people buying fat bikes and therefore you'll see component manufacturers starting to offer more more products. And the, the Bluto, by all accounts, is a great fork, but it would be cool to see some competition in that arena.
0: Yeah, I agree. Suspension definitely seems to be an area where there's a lot of room for innovation. So, one common thing that we hear from a lot of mountain bikers is that fat biking is just a fad. So if it is just a fad, have we peaked? Are we near the peak? Is there still a lot of room to grow? I mean, I think that gets at the the previous question, but I mean, I know for me, um, my next mountain bike is probably going to be a fat bike. I mean, I've got a couple of good mountain bikes that I like and I live in Georgia, but I still think that a fat bike is a versatile enough bike for me that it's not just a fat. It's not just something to add to my quiver. It's something that, you know, I, I would like to ride all the time, but I'm interested to hear what you guys think.
1: I think it's, you know, we, there's two different things we can look at, you know, ridership, like the number of people actually riding bikes and fat bike sales. I think we have actually seen maybe a slowdown in, in fat bike sales recently, Like it used to be we couldn't get any fat bikes in for review. There are no fat bikes to be had. They're already sold or pre-sold. But now we've got a lot of companies coming to us saying, we want you to review our fat bike. Like we have media test bikes and the implication then is they need more help selling their fat bike. Part of that could just be due to more competition in the market but I think a lot of people bought fat bikes initially might have bought their second fat bikes and now for a lot of people they already have their fat bike and they might not need to upgrade for a few years yet especially if technology doesn't change much so well i think we could still see a big growth in ridership i think we're going to see sales like flattening out after an initial surge
2: yeah i would i would agree with you greg i think just from anecdotally you know going to interbike it seems the past couple years everything was fat bike you know everything was look at our new fat bike look at our new wheels look at our tires and this year that that was much less prevalent while there were a a handful of companies that did have um new models there was definitely way more buzz about 27.5 plus
1: part of it i wonder is you know if fat biking is just sort of we like accept it now it's like this is an integral part of almost every brand's lineup everybody's got a fat bike now which is interesting you know, whereas you really had to seek out a fat bike before, now you can just go to your favorite brand for the most part and be like, all right, I'm going to buy your guys fat bike. Mm-hmm. So I expect to see ridership increasing, people going out of their way to fat bike in more interesting places instead of just on their home terrain, um, traveling mm-hmm. more to fat bike. I think there's a lot of things that we can see happening over the coming years.
0: Right, right. And we're even seeing – tourism groups and people like that trying to promote their fat biking and getting people to visit destinations that maybe are a little bit quiet during the winter. And even as we see more trails and trail management groups, you know, maintaining their trails for fat biking in the winter, I think as that happens more, as there are more trails with nice groomed or packed snow, then more people are going to get into it. So I agree. I think there's definitely some room to grow there if not in sales, at least in ridership. Well, we talked early on about how fat bikes are different from some of the other sort of evolutions we've seen in the mountain bike industry over the last few years. So if fat biking is such a different thing or such a departure from where bikes have been in the past, could we see fat biking becoming sort of its own culture or its own Niche that's separate from mountain biking. I mean, does fat biking exist without mountain biking? Could it be like a people see it as more of a snow sport, something that they do when they, you know, travel to a ski resort? We're seeing too that fat biking even is having its own events and things like that. So, is it is it a separate thing from mountain biking? Can it exist on its own?
2: I think it already does kind of exist on its own really it harkens back to the earliest days of mountain biking you know kind of before everyone started taking themselves so friggin seriously (laughs) the people that ride fat bikes that you know they do it because they they think it's fun not because it's you know the cool thing to do i personally have no use for a, a fat bike you know i've ridden a handful of them and they're cool like i you know but it's just it's not not my bag necessarily but i don't I don't understand that's the hate that's directed at fat bikes. I don't. I mean, I don't understand the hate that's directed at any bike, like at 29ers and you know now 27.5 plus. This is you know I, I know I've mentioned this to you before, Jeff. But the way I look at it is, mountain bikers love trucks, right? Like we all love trucks. Trucks are cool. They run over stuff, and you can get them dirty and drive around in the mud. And what's cooler than a truck? A truck with big ass tires on it. You know, <laughs> like everybody, everybody who loves a truck loves the jacked up version of that truck. You know, I mean, like the base Tacoma with its little fifteen inch steel wheels is pretty lame looking. You know, but you take that same truck and you put some big thirty five inch tires on it, and the thing looks badass. So I don't, I, you know, I don't <laughs> understand why that same kind of mentality doesn't transfer over to bikes. You know, so you take a, you take a regular trail bike you put big ass tires on it and like, shouldn't we all be on board with that? I mean, don't we all want the most traction, but yeah, like I said, it's not, it's not my thing, but, um, I, there, there is a place for them. I think they already have their own little corner of the mountain bike market. And, um, I I only think we'll start to see that grow.
1: I see fat biking as like a subset of mountain biking. So obviously not every mountain biker is going to be a fat biker, but, I don't see fat biking as existing independent of mountain biking. So I guess it's like it kind of depends on how you define the question. Ultimately, I see, okay, the people that are fat biking are mountain bikers. It's like the same people. It's like the same group. And if the mountain bikers aren't fat biking, who's going to be fat biking? And I think the answer is basically nobody. Potentially, you could have some roadies that were to a ride fat bikes during the winter and won't ride dirt. But that's going to be a pretty minor market. And I also don't see people just riding snow bikes and not riding dirt because fat biking is really friggin' hard. It is – it's challenging. I mean pedaling in the snow, even if you have a good groomed surface, for me, I'm lucky if I'm pulling down like a six-mile-an-hour average. You know, like Mm -hmm. I'm doing pretty solid if I can make that happen and – and honestly and that's like ideal condition. The conditions are bad, you know, you're going to end up pushing your bike in the snow. I mean, it's uh it's much more strenuous than average mountain biking in my opinion, at least around here. So you're not going to see like a casual person be like, "Oh, I'm just going to go I'm going to go fat biking and like do more than like 2 miles, you know." So I see it as always being sort of a subset of mountain biking. Yeah, you know, and we also have the same technology. You know, we've got roughly the same wheel sizes. The tires are bigger, you know, same components, same bike manufacturers. Whereas you're likening sort of BMX a mountain bike. And generally with BMX, I mean, you've got different componentry. You know, the handlebars are different, the wheels are different, the drivetrains are even sort of different. I mean, you. Running a single speed, a lot of the actual manufacturers themselves are different. You know, BMX specific manufacturers and mountain bike specific manufacturers, whereas with fat biking and mountain biking, it's all blended together ultimately.
2: Right. So all all fat bikers are mountain bikers, but not all mountain bikers are fat bikers.
1: <laughs> Essentially, yes, yes. There you go. Boom. Two <laughs> seconds. Aaron's got. <laughs>
0: Cool. I think that was a that was a fun discussion about fat bikes, and I'm sure probably not the last one for us. So now I want to move into talking about what's grinding our gears and stoking our spokes this week.
2: So on the the grinding my gears, I mean honestly, this could be one every time we do this segment, but um, I, I've referred to it as the need argument, as in you know we post an article on a review of something or a uh, you know a press release on a new product and. And people say, you know, I don't need that. I don't need that much travel. I don't need wheels that are that light. I don't need tires that wide. I don't need bars that wide. You know, I don't need this. I don't need that. Okay, cool. Maybe you don't need that. But maybe there are people that need it. Or maybe there are people that want those things. It's like people want advancement to stop with whatever the last thing they got is. You know, <laughs> So if they got a 6-inch travel 27.5 bike you know, they see a six inch travel 27 five plus bike come out and they're like, no, that's dumb. They shouldn't have made that. Like, I don't <laughs> need that. Well, yeah, you don't need it. You've already got an awesome bike at home, but also, you know, no one's going to come and boot, kick your door open and force you to buy a new mountain bike. So that's just something, you know, like I said, we see it all the time, but the need argument, like I don't, I don't need an 11 speed dry train. I don't need, uh, brakes that big. I, you know, I always, I tell people, well, you don't need suspension, you don't need disc brakes, you don't need tubeless tires, you know, so when you start crossing the things, I mean, honestly, you don't need a bike, so <laughs> right, pre- yeah. pretty soon, I mean, it's a, it's a slippery slope, right, like, you, eventually, you're, uh, you know, the components are disappearing off your bike until, you, you know, you have an empty basement, so, <laughs> that, yeah. that, that, uh those comments always bug me, and, uh, you know, so stop it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the number of things we need in life is is pretty minimal. We want a lot of things.
2: Yeah, that's right. What was that? Maslow's hierarchy of needs? It's like food and shelter.
0: Bike's not on there. No, like, right. maybe it should be. That would be like a funny T-shirt, but it's not true. And boom.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, potentially you could make like potentially make an argument for like outdoor recreation or time in the wild as like a human need to an extent, but. Do you need bikes to fill that need? Not necessarily. What about you guys?
2: What's what's grinding you guys' gears?
1: Well, speaking about time in the wild and solitude, what's uh, grinding my gears is the continued adoption of more wilderness areas. So new wilderness areas, expanding of wilderness borders, and what comes with it is the subsequent closure of mountain bike trails. I never got a chance to ride in the Boulder White Clouds area of Idaho was always on my list. Boom. Now it's a wilderness area. Trails are off limits to bikes. And I just wrote a pretty lengthy article about some of the crap that's going down North Carolina. And sure, Imba, Sorba, Pisca area Sorba, and other mountain bike groups in ourselves are trying to fight it and be like, look, these are great trails and we want them to stay open to mountain bikes. But there's no guarantee that Those areas won't become wilderness areas. You know, it's very possible. And it's happening all over the nation. It's happening in Montana, New Mexico, Idaho, North Carolina, many other places. It's grinding my gears, man. Yeah. (laughs) I think the problem is, like, I think we as mountain bikers, we want to preserve wild areas. We're staunch environmentalists in general, and we love the beauty and the untrammeled nature of the mountains and the forests. But the way the wilderness is set up to ban mountain bikes essentially puts us at odds with other environmentalists. Whereas I think if we're all on the same side, we could accomplish so much more. Yeah. Consider my gears ground.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to talk about something that's stoking my spokes. It's gotten me excited for 2016. We're working on rebranding single tracks, so mm-hmm. updating the brand a little bit. And we haven't talked about it online or anything. It's not something that we're going to like preview. Basically, one day you're going to come to the site and you're going to be like, holy smokes, they got a sweet new logo. I'm really excited about it. The process has been really interesting and kind of exciting, too. Just really like distilling down what Single Tracks is about, what our mission is and how we're gonna accomplish that, you know, going forward for the next five, ten years. So I'm really excited about that. And once we have that new brand identity and logo stuff, you know, I'm excited to slap it on a bunch of t shirts and koozies and all kinds of cool stuff and get that out to people. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about that, excited for twenty sixteen.
1: So my spokes are also stoked. I have a new Scott Big John fat bike in for review, and I have been enjoying it immensely. i got to get on writing my on-review article, but I have to say I'm pretty impressed with this bike. What's most impressive is that it's uh, Scott's lowest-end offering. They only have two fat bikes, so it's not a huge range, but this fat bike, the MSRP is $1,600, so which... In most realms, is on the very affordable end, but it's got very, very solid parts for the price. Like not the highest end parts, but reliable Shimano brakes, two by ten Shimano drivetrain, solid five full five inch tires, which you know are a little bit pricier than the four inch and nicer, which is smartly set up. But the bike's also not too heavy; it comes in right around that thirty pound range for a rigid aluminum frame and fork. And I think, like, the design and the geometry is spot on. I've had little to no calf bank issues. So I'm just super impressed to see such a solid bike for a solid price. You know, would like yeah. to see more of that. It yeah. looks good, too. It's, it looks – yeah, it looks legit.
2: Um, I've got something that's – stoking my spokes as well it's actually uh, a component i just posted the review of it this week the sram gx 11 speed group it's sram's most affordable 1x11 offering you can have you can get the entire group for 560 bucks so you know it's not cheap but it's affordable especially considering you you wouldn't necessarily need to purchase the cranks you know if you really if you already have a crank set you like you get a get the shifter and the rear derailleur and the cassette and you're you know, you're probably more around the, you know, $300, 350 range. But we posted the review this week, and it got some really good feedback. And yeah, the more I ride that group, the more I like it. I think it's, it's, it's the best bang for your buck group going right now. And, um, you know, I think it's, like I mentioned in the article, it's it's really cool to see, to see it being spec'd on a, a lot of complete bikes for 2016.
1: And you know, off the top of You have what like a retail for a the two by 11 setup for that drivetrain would be is a little bit more expensive with a front derailleur and stuff
2: i believe it is yeah because you're adding a front derailleur and a shifter and another chain ring so it would be it'd be a little bit more expensive
1: okay but man i could really go for one of those for my next drivetrain might do that
2: trickle down technology at its finest
0: (laughs) well cool that's all we got this week thanks for joining us we'll see you again next week peace